The Lord be with you. And before we begin tonight, um, I have two announcements. I'll do it very quickly. The first one is urgent. And if you are a Bible student that is coming to Module 2, you must register with your uh, down payment. Um, it, it's, um, I don't know, but we, we've had, uh, I, I say almost no one has registered, and yet everybody I speak to, oh, we'll be there. You cannot come unless you register because we book the room based on how many register. So please, if you are a Bible student coming on May 2nd to Module 2, please register immediately. And if you know someone who is a student, and, and would you please tell them, okay, it's urgent. And then also the June retreat, uh, June 12th in uh, St. Petersburg, we are going to be speaking, because I haven't given you a topic yet, and, and we'll be speaking on Wake Up, You Have the Mind of Christ. It's going to be a fascinating uh, retreat because I don't think in all my years have I spoken uh, to this subject. It deals with the grace of God, the moving of the Spirit of God in our thought life, in our mind, and to realize the reality of what the Scripture says. You do have the mind of Christ. That's what the Scripture says. And we deal with a Spirit-filled imagination. And I've been promising to do that for I don't know how long. And I can assure you that when you come and have the Spirit in terms of your mind and imagination, you will enter into a new dimension of life in Christ. And I mean that. So, now I want you to turn to Jude. That's that little epistle immediately before Revelation. It only has one chapter. It seems so small, but it is packed with vital truth. And so let me read bits and pieces here and there. The epistle of Jude, and in the first verse... It says, Jude, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. And then down in verse uh, 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then this translation, it says, waiting anxiously for the mercy. Then, I'm sorry. Uh, no, put in there with great expectancy for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And finally, verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great and ecstatic joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, and now and forever. Um, you'll know why I read all of that in a moment. Um, the... 
uh, passion translation that I'm referring to sometimes. Uh, it has some good ways. Let me read at the beginning there. He says, Jude, um, I am writing to the chosen ones who are wrapped in the love of Father God. We are kept and guarded for Jesus, the Messiah. And he goes on, May God's mercy, peace, and love cascade all over you. And then in that verse uh, down where we, we said, Keep yourselves in the love of God, he translates it as fasten your hearts to the love of God. So what, what am I talking about here? Um, the, the verse that arrests me is the one in the middle there in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Or as we just read, fasten yourselves to the love of God. And I, I believe we'll do at least two weeks on this. It's got a hold of me. You see, Jude, though it be such a small book, it's, it's, it is really a letter. You could put it on a you know, a postcard almost. Um, but it, it is so important because Jude is addressing the church as it was in his day, uh, and it is being attacked on all sides, not by persecutors, but by seducing, uh, what can I say, seducing spirits, but the spirits came in the form of human beings, false teachers, and and they were seeking to draw the people away, and and this gets to Jude to such a point he he sends out this letter, and so he places this this verse: keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God, and that is his central statement, as. He looks at all of these uh, pressures from false teaching and from men that have no knowledge of that love. He is saying your response to that is to keep yourself in the love of God. There's another translation called the Wust translation, and he says keep yourself in the sphere of the love of God. I like that too. And so... As he does that, did you get it? Keep yourself in the love of God. Fasten yourself to the love of God. Keep yourself in the sphere of God's love. You got that. But before we go any further, those other verses I read, did you notice it is God himself who is keeping us? And so he says, you are we in the beginning. You are the beloved of God. And he goes on, you are being kept for Jesus. At the end, those last verses, now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and, and present us and so on. Um, he, he places this verse in the middle of all these different factions. First of all, you are kept. So this verse is not about you trying to keep yourself. It is not you um, afraid of losing God's love or falling away from that love. It, it's not as if you're going to lose the relationship. It says you have been placed there 
God the Father loves you and holds you there, and he is the one who keeps you. Yet it says in the middle of all of that, that we are to embrace and to keep the greatest treasure ever given to the human being. Um, this, there is a response. Let me, let me say this. We are speaking here of relationship. Love always means relationship. You can't have love hanging in the middle of nowhere. That love is a relationship. And relationship always demands a response. And so he is saying, you are loved. You are, it's cascading over you, this love. You are embraced. You are kept by this love. And, and he put you in this love to start with. But that love opens our eyes. And we realize we are blessedly entangled with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we're inside his love. We're upheld by the Spirit. Relationship that demands a response, our opened eyes, we respond to him and we realize we are in life himself. This is life. We are the beloved. I say we respond, let me say it again, because that's what the text is about. We respond to that. You say, we're not puppets. We're not puppets. He, he, he is not. Um, he, he hasn't made us robots. It, it isn't that now God loves you and you're kept. And, and we, we, well, we're, kept, we're, we're robots. We say, no. We're, it's a relationship. Do you realize the gospel is romance? It is that he loves you. And in loving you, his love opens our eyes and, and we realize truth and life and we respond to him. That's the Christian life. Love relationship. Uh, and this verse is talking about that awakening and response and live in that response. Okay. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And I know we have done this before, but this is so important. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What is the love of God? See, many people think that it is a kind of souped-up human love. No, it has, and I say this carefully, essentially nothing to do with human love. Human love, beautiful as it is, um, it is a fickle love. It's got an unhealthy mix of self in it. And, and no, God's love is unique. And that's why the, the word used for God's love in the Bible is a unique word. It's agape. And uh, all I can tell you is that in the language that was spoken on the streets... Uh, when the New Testament was written, they had another word for love. It was eros. And, and eros comes down to us today um, as usually sexual love, erotic. But in those days, it, it did not mean that specifically. It, it meant love as most of us understand love. It, it's it's that desire for myself of another because that other pleases me. 
and that other is in mine eyes the highest, the best, the most beautiful, and I must have that other, and I want, and I want, and I want that other because of the beauty of that other and the pleasure that that other gives to me. That's eros. And as I say, eros can be beautiful, beautiful in the sense it has given us all the great artwork of Greece. Yeah, that was based on eros. But when I come to God's love, it, it's the reverse of that. Just for starters, I mean God's love. This other word, agape, means, you see, God doesn't look at you and go starry-eyed and, and, and say, I found the greatest human being, the best human being, the most beautiful human being, and, and that human being gives me such pleasure, I must have them. No. Agape comes to all of us, including those that are at the bottom of the human heap. And they, they might be in their very being and lives uh, ugly as they have turned their entire being inward to self. He, he comes to the world with all its peoples and that includes you and I when we look at ourselves outside of Jesus Christ and see the mess up uh, of life. And, and no, I don't have to adjust my behavior to attract the love of God. That's the wonder of God's love. We can't, we, it leaves us with our mouth open that, it, that there's none too low for him to reject. I say it again. He never, as human love, never falls in love because of our beauty and the righteousness and the innate holiness that we display. Never, never. He comes and he loves us, and we wonder how he could possibly love us and realize that his love originates in himself not in us. And so you've heard me say more than once, he owns his love. That, that is, um, God doesn't love me because I did something to excite that love, in which case I would have uh, some ownership of his love. No, God's love loves because that's who he is. Do you get it? God loves you because that's who he is in his being, in his essence, in that which makes God God. He's reaching out to you. And so when we say agape love, we have to understand it is love that reaches out and reaches out, not because we're a magnet that draws it, but rather because he, like, like a, a great spontaneous geyser of love, it, it pours out. Unlimited movement. God is not passive. God's love is not him sitting in a rocking chair, smiling benignly at us like an old grandfather. No, it is passion. God's unlimited movement, his zeal, his desire to unite with you, with me, with humans based on who he is, what he does, he reaches out to us. That's the love of God. And 
let's, let's be very plain about this. This is ground zero for any understanding of God, the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? This is ground zero. If we don't understand that, then we cannot grasp the very beginnings of the gospel. He's not a God removed from us. And, and, and most people in the West, when you say, where is God, they'll point up. It, it, it's, it, 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 in the very psyche of, of the human that God is up, he's separated, he's away from us. He's looking down on us. How many times have I heard that phrase? He speaks down to us from an unreachable height. And what's he say when he looks down? He gives us laws that we have to keep, rules and, and threats if we don't keep it. Honestly, the, the, the God, and I put that in quotes, that many worship... He is not a nice chap. Um, I, I don't want to be around that God. People say they want to go to heaven. I don't think you've ever understood what heaven is. Heaven is the presence of this real God. And, and if you want to go to heaven with that monster that you worship, who's up and away and doesn't like us and just throws laws at us and is continually irritated by us, I wouldn't call that heaven. I don't think I'd want to go there. No, this is the real God. He is love. He is agape. And, and he is the God who finally took on our flesh in Jesus. And we can look at Jesus and see in simplicity and clarity who this God really is. He's love, compassion, kindness, gentleness. And he doesn't have any of those things. He is it cannot be there for anything but that. And he is the God who doesn't want to be God without us. Can you understand that? God doesn't want to be God. He refuses to be God. I'll go that far because um, that's the story of the gospel. He refuses to be God without you along with him. That's what the incarnation is all about. When we talk about, you know, the baby Jesus in the manger, do you realize what we're saying? That, that Jesus, that 100% man, as Jesus delighted to call himself son of man, but that man is none other than God, God the Son, who has become one of us. Now, just number one without any further thought, what is that saying? Except that God willed to so not be God without us that he became human. He joined us. And then when he carried us through death to resurrection, he pours out his spirit the Spirit, who is the very presence of that Jesus, ascended Jesus, and he pours it. And, and don't say that too quickly, because it is saying that the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is love in dynamic action, love action, gentle action, kind action, that God comes to join himself to us at the very 
core of our being. He dwells within us. And then out from him there pours throughout every part of our being the love of God that we've just been talking about, uniting us to himself, wanting himself to us. That's where the cascading of of spirit. And I would say um, that, that the Holy Spirit is the personal energy field of love. And he draws us to himself, reveals to us Jesus, assures us of the Father's love. He holds us. He penetrates our entire being. He embraces us. This is love. I said the gospel is romance. And if you're a believer, this is the sphere, right? Keep yourself in the love of God. That word in the Greek language um, just has a bit more punch to it, is inside the love of God. Or is that other translation I just used, that, that it's in, in the sphere of? It, it's, well, it's sort of the atmosphere, it's the oxygen. Or you could say that we dwell in the depths of the ocean of love. We, we, we live like a fish in water, we live in the, the sea of love. Or what I've just used, an energy field of love. That's where I live. That's where I move. I have my being. That's where the word baptism in the Bible, because baptism doesn't mean dunking. If, 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 if I baptized you and put you in the water and brought you out again, I just blew it, because baptism means I leave you there. Baptism means to be drowned So baptism means that you've been drowned in the love of God, and that is your true life. Now, you you didn't have, I mean, you didn't make that happen. So, so see, don't, don't give the question, well, how do I make that happen? You can't. This is the sheer gift. It is the gift and the act of God in Jesus Christ. We, we do not, we cannot get ourselves into love, but we have been put there by the love that laid hold upon us. Do you get that? So I, I want to do something to get there. You're too late. You're too late. Jesus did everything that put us in that love. And the Holy Spirit is within you and around you. That love pressing dynamically in your life, it's done, it's finished. You see, it's not that other word, eros, where you have to be beautiful and acceptable and the highest and the best. No, you can't earn this. You can't earn it. You cannot earn the position of being in that love. You you cannot earn, you cannot do something that will make it happen. And therefore, think carefully, if you couldn't make it happen, yet God has done it, then there's nothing you can do to negate what he's done. Which are those verses we read from Jude where he's the one who keeps us unto him who is able to keep us and present us. And so this verse, I'm I'm saying all this to try to... uh, 
get, get our bearings in the verse. The verse, keep yourself in the love of God. It is speaking of our living in this consciousness. Well, I, I don't mean that you go around with, with a Bible under your arm all the time. I mean that in, in, in the canvas on which you think life, the, the lens through which you see life, is that always is there, always there, that you're inside the love of God, you're held in His love, and whatever is happening, whatever's coming at you, you're, you're in a shield of God's love, and everything that comes, comes through the love, and you see it through the love. Keep yourself inside, in the love, conscious, realize, wide awake to it, agreeing and affirming the always presence of a love that will not let us go. That makes us alive in a world that is blind to that love and exists in in a terrible darkness. I, I don't know if you've noticed anything in the last 10 minutes, but... This is the focus of the New Testament. Keep yourself in that love. Be aware of that love. Focus on that love. Because you see, in many circles today, that's not the focus. Not Actually, not at all. The focus is on sin. Have you noticed that? In the middle of a world that Jude describes as being under attack... He doesn't say keep yourself from sin. That's interesting. That is really interesting because, as I say, if, if I were to take this book of Jude with all of its dire expose of what is attacking the church, I, I know we would end this with keep yourself from sin and watch out for Satan and now come forward and rededicate yourself to do that all the more. But he doesn't, not at all. Rather, he assures them they are being kept, and those who are being kept are now to keep themselves inside this love of God, the sphere of God love. Interesting. Well, we could spend a whole hour on that, couldn't we? Don't, don't try to keep yourself from sin, but do keep yourself focused on, fastened to, inside the love of God. And what would happen then? Well, sin has lost its strength. From inside the love of God, sin doesn't have, you know, the the hook to get you. Satan, the liar, is exposed in the midst of truth. He, he almost fades away. He's got no um, substance. I know know you might not have heard that before, but if you focus on the love of God, sin will will lose its draw. Um, We we don't put it this way. We do not stand in the front of sin tempting us and saying, I will not, I promise, I will not, I will not. Because actually you're only strengthening the power of sin by doing that. No, no. If you've understood or understanding now what I'm talking about, if you are inside the love of God, just ignore sin. 
You see, it's got no authority. It was crucified with Christ. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Or the ancient prophets said, from the death and resurrection of Jesus, God would not even remember sin anymore. So I'm going to join him, and I'm not going to remember it anymore. There is a holy ignoring of sins yelling and shouting at us because it's got no authority. You've got no place here. And rather focus on the love that with infinite desire draws us to himself and to life. See, the gospel, why is it gospel? Which is an old English word meaning incredibly good news that makes you leap and dance for joy. So the focus of that infinite good news is the love of God that establishes relationship with us and fellowship, which means friendship, who just delights to be together. See, get love wrong and everything goes wrong. If you take love out of the gospel and replace it with some other news. It's no longer good news. And you have now this thing, this entity, um, religious stuff. But you've lost the leaping heart. You've lost the wonder, the joy. You've lost the total peace and rest because that's God in the act of loving you in and through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. If I go into many places of religion, I find, and I mean, it's preached. It's They've got, it isn't love. I tell you, it's a destination they talk about. That's interesting. Bible speaks about relationship. They talk about destination. Like a, person came to me at the airport the other day and, and said, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Um, it's a strange question because it's not in the New Testament. Um, they, they talk, you know, have you got your destination worked out? Are you going to heaven or hell? Well, you see, that, that's not in the New Testament. It's not about destiny. It's not where you're going. It is who are you now in this pulsing, racing heart of love relating to? That's, that fills the New Testament, a relationship, a relationship between you and the real Father who loves you and calls you his son, his daughter. Relationship to the real Jesus who is so, he's the one, he he joined us. You can relate to him because he's inside our humanity. And the Holy Spirit, the dearest, most precious friend you'll ever know, who is forever bringing the good and the glory and the joy and the peace into life. It's a relationship. And here these dear people are, are talking about a destination, and they don't look happy about it anyway. And, and when I got them talking, salvation, and they use the word saved a lot, but 
they were really saying that Jesus saved us from God, that God hated us so much, raged against us, and could hardly keep his hands of rage off of us. But Jesus came and he tore his son to pieces, tortured his son, damned his son, killed his son. And I'm supposed to be happy about that. I I don't think I can trust a God like that. Would you trust your neighbor who came to you and says, well, I hated you, I wanted to murder you, but I murdered my son instead, just, but now we can have dinner together. No, 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 no. That is not gospel. That's, well, we'll leave it. You, you make up your own mind. I mean, I tell you what, the focus becomes in continual religious anxiety of trying to keep the rules so that when the big day comes, I'll make it to the right destination. But I'm never sure. So I'm always going forward to try and keep my, you know, confess my sins or try, try and make sure I'm saved from this God who wants to murder me. Um, no, no, please, let, let's forget that. Jude, in this epistle, it had all the chance to talk about that news, but instead he totally negates it. And he says this, you have been given a treasure and you've been given that treasure by the Father who, yes, he can't keep his hands off you of love and gentleness and kindness, who gave his own son to unite with you, carry you through death to the very sit with him in the heavens now. And, and had the Holy Spirit just plain love you and carry you in life. Now he said, that's a treasure. Oh, that's the, tre- that's the goodest news you've ever heard. Now he says, as all these other fractions would come in and, and su- try to seduce you, just hold steady, keep yourself inside this love, inside this relationship, this friendship, this companionship, this familiarity with the Holy Trinity that's been given to us as a gift by the Father through Jesus and now witnessed to us by the Spirit. There's no fear in this love. See, if you're living the Christian life because you're afraid of what might happen in terms of a destination, well, please, can we just get this straight right now? There's nothing, no, no, no. There is no fear in love. In fact, it says in in 1 John that the perfect love casts out all fear. And the word there in the original language, cast out, means like a bouncer at a nightclub. He picks fear up and throws it down the steps. It's, it's violently, there is no fear. Can't be afraid of a God who loves you, a God who embraces you and says, I'll die in your place and I'll carry you with me to the Father who's just longing to get his arms of love around you. Now that that's... Keeping oneself in the love of God, I say, is the end of fear. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. And the one who abides or dwells in love, abides, lives inside of God. And God abides, lives inside of him. And by this, love is perfected with us. That is, when I'm in God and God's in me, this, love is perfected within us. 
so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because all fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. That is, you haven't got it yet. Haven't got it. We love, he finishes, because he first loved us. Well, I won't won't stay there any longer. It says, keep yourself. Now, this word keep, um, very important, keep. What does it mean? Keep. Keep yourself in that love I've just been talking about. Well, let me, let me spin this definition out. Uh, let me give you some other words to describe it. Keep means to watch over or to guard. And, and it's always got the idea of guarding something precious, a precious gift or a vast treasure that has been given to you. So you guard it. Do not let intruders draw you away, entice you, seduce you, distract you from the consciousness of living in the sphere, the sphere of that love, which is our true life, the oxygen of our spirit. Don't let any... Watch it, watch it. Don't let anybody cause you to forget the magnitude of the gift that's entrusted to you. But, okay, you you got that. But now, I I will, let's put those words into context. Let's put those words into this verse. Because, okay, it means it. Watch over, guard, be alert, be awake. You've been given a great treasure. Don't let anybody touch it or steal it. Yeah, that's what it means. But this is not speaking. You see, you, you've got to introduce, you, you're, you're watching over, you're guarding, you're mesmerized by love. When I say a treasure, don't, don't, don't think that's merely like um, a treasure of precious stones. They're dead. I mean, they're beautiful. They're stones. They're valuable, like like piece of gold, piece of silver, but but they're dead. And, and so you'd watch over it, like they watch over the Queen's jewels in London. So I'm using the same word, watch over, guard it. But I have to introduce to that, you're, you're watching over with delight. You're, you're guarding it, gazing in wonder. Because you actually interact with the treasure. You see, this is not, I say again, pieces of um, treasure. This is the person, the person who is love and loves you. He is the treasure who has given himself to you. And so... This isn't a passive standing. Again, if you go to the Tower of London in England and you see the crown jewels, the the guards stand there passively. They're just standing, they're guarding. 
Well, no, you don't not. No, no, this, this is about a relationship with the person who is love. We don't passively stand and guard over or, or, or lock it away in a safe place. It's active involvement. See, you, you don't keep the love of your marriage by locking your wife in the clothes closet and saying, now we're going to keep you safe. No, stupid, isn't it? But that's, do you get the point? We, we are guarding, we're watching, but with that delight and excitement of love, responding to love. It's, it's a, a treasure of relationship. Love is the treasure to keep. Love is the person. Love is the living, passionate, loving Holy Trinity in limitless action of uniting with us, embracing us, being functionally one with us. This, this is now. I'm speaking of you now. This is the treasure that you have. So we are called, you say, you, you keep that, you keep it. What do we mean? We say, <laughs> we're going to pursue this. We're not going to ever consider the possibility of being disconnected here. We want to know further this relationship to be fully awake to this relationship, to be alert to the vastness of the relationship, to wake up to the nature of the relationship, that it is a relationship. And I know for some it would take a work of the Holy Spirit a bit longer than usual because we've got, we, to us, the nature of it is a destination and to drop that and realize, no, it's a relationship which is now. But that's it. Wake up to this. Uh, and it may be right now you're waking up to it and, and uh, staring around as if this is like a new world. That, that I'm not trying to please a judge, but I'm responding to a lover. I'm not Concerned about a destination, but about a relationship in this micro moment right now. So, you see, the treasure we guard is not there or there. It, it, it says, he is my. He's we're, we're inside of us. And we keep that. We guard the relationship that discovers this person. Do you get it? To, to, to keep or to guard a relationship, we will act, we, we will seek to discover, to pay attention to, to investigate further, that we might wonder more. He, hear this. There, there can be revelation from the Holy Spirit. I know it happens a lot on this program the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. It seems in a moment we see what we've never seen before. We, we call that revelation. The word revelation means to tear aside the veil to, so your eyes can be opened to see. We have revelation. And that's a wonderful moment. But 
to keep that revelation in the sense this verse is talking about means that we begin to bring that revelation of God's love into our daily life and unpack it and work it out and to, as the Bible would say, walk in it, make it your lifestyle so that you, it isn't something you've just seen. It means I've taken what I've seen, which upset everything else I've ever believed, but I now make it my lifestyle. I begin to do this union that I live, that he lives, that we live, and we living is I. Look, it's a relationship, and you're guarding that relationship. You're keeping it. You're delighting. You're gazing in awe at it. That demands what the Bible calls fellowship or active friendship. Certainly, it means conversation. It actually is going to go beyond what we've been taught as having a quiet time and having your time of prayer. You know, you've heard that. No, this is what Paul was talking about, prayer without ceasing. It it means that there's a constant sort of down there, deep conversation going on. I'm sharing my entire life with this one who loves me and is fascinated by my life and wants to pour himself into my life. So the conversation goes on. And as conversation happens, you're drawn closer. Look, I, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've eaten a lot in restaurants recently. And um, it's interesting. I'm not a people watcher. It's in in restaurants that I usually prepare these messages, but um, often as I'm waiting for food. So I'm not sitting there doing a people watch. But there's some things you can't help noticing when the persons are pretty close. And I've noticed a couple comes in, doesn't matter what age they are, and and they're, they're talking. They sit at the table and they talk and they relate. Sometimes they don't agree. Sometimes they laugh together, but there's continual conversation. And you can look at them and know these people are relating to each other. There's something good that's going on here. They're talking and they're sharing. They're liking to be together. The waiter has to interrupt them with the food and interrupt them with the check because they're there to interact. Then you get the others. They're usually older, and they don't talk much. But sometimes they just touch each other's hand. They look in each other's eyes, and you are seeing unspoken, but it's that relationship. They are almost growing into each other. But then you get others. They come in, and they're not talking, and when they sit down, they don't talk. And they sit, they, they talk in staccato words to the waiter or waitress and, and sit and just look. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. How, how, how you can sit at the same table with someone and say absolutely nothing and have a look in your eyes, you're a million miles away. And when the food comes, there's a grunt and eat. I was watching a couple the other day. The only time they talked was who's going to pay for this. 
And then, without another word, they get up and go out. I, I don't know how long they've been together or what, but there's nothing left. There's no relationship. There's no, you know what I mean. Or then the loneliest people on the planet, America's teenagers today, with their cell phones. I saw five of them sit at a table and they didn't say a word to each other. They were all on their cell phones. And then I realized by things that happened, they were texting each other across the table. They didn't know how to talk. They didn't know how to relate. They didn't know how to be a friend. They didn't know fellowship. You know what I'm talking about. There are many who sit in church on a Sunday morning with a look in their eye that is like that last couple. They just sit there and stare into space. They might as well be texting. There's nothing going on. There's no fellowship. There's no awareness. Do you understand what I'm saying here? where it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. It is in this interaction, this relationship, this treasured relationship becomes real, a vital part of our life. We're keeping it. We're guarding it. If we're not actively engaged in this relationship, knowing God's love, seeing His love here, there, then we're forgetting it. And the word is in the Bible, forget, and it doesn't mean amnesia. The word forget in the Bible is meaning to leave something in the past disconnected from this present moment and irrelevant to this present moment. Forget. Love was something you knew once, but a lot's happened, you know, and... We forget. That is, we've left it in the past. It's irrelevant. We're just doing religious duty now. The word remember bring, means to continually bring from the past into the present so that it is fresh and new and dynamic in this moment. We're doing it again, pushing it deeper. That's keeping. Do you remember the story Jesus told uh, of, of the very, I mean, he He's a storied, a storied, a story time rich man. I mean, billionaire outside of imagination uh, who calls his servants and he gives them talents. Do you remember? We talked about it a few months ago. Um, he brought the, the, the talents and he told them to take these talents and, and to work with them. And huh. if, if you looked on your dining room table at great bars of gold, that had been put there, and you were told you'd, you'd got to keep those bars of gold. The, the owner's coming back, and he's going to see what you've done with it, but it's for you to keep these and, and to do with them what you're supposed to do. Remember? And, and, and so the story of the, the chaps who go out and they start working the market, and, and the gold that they had now multiplies. In fact, in, in the original language, that it, the, the gold was actually called as if it's a living thing, that it can give birth. But then there was the other one who hid the bar of gold. He actually buried it at a funeral and, and, and stands guard over the grave. He's guarding the gold. He doesn't want to lose it. And... Jesus says, I mean, the, the chap has completely missed it. 
No, you see, keep this relationship. What, what do you mean by that? It doesn't mean put it on ice. It, it doesn't mean stick it in a museum. It Do, doesn't mean get all spiritual and robotic. And No, it means take this love into the marketplace. Let's see this love expand. Let me discover this love the more and let me watch as it transforms those where he does it again. He doesn't put us in, in a museum and bring us out on Sunday. He's there keeping us in every second of life, developing this relationship. Well, that, that's, that's what this text is about. It's settling into, staying in the awareness, alert to love, deaf for every voice that would distract you. And if you think this is going a bit far, well, then what's this text doing in the Scripture? Because it's telling that we can live inside, in the sphere of, in the energy field of this love. And if that's the case, then... This is the imperative. It's not just a suggestion. It's the imperative. Keep yourself. This is your life adventure. This is a keeper. And and I'm going to pursue this relationship. I'm going to see how it unfolds in every day of my life. I'm going to live in that background awareness. I'm going to live life. I'm going to live it to the full, actually. I'm going to be more human than I've ever been before because I'm now I've found out what it's all about. But in the background will always be the throb of God's love. There will always be the energy field of the Spirit, which is love. So you keep the treasure in sight. You never forget. You never, it's never irrelevant. It's never something to be put aside for another day. You live in the wonder that God dwells inside of you and you dwell inside of him. You're the beloved. Keep yourself in the love of God. Look, let, let me sum it up. Where we almost, where we began. This isn't speaking of getting into the love of God. You're there. And you see, if you say, well, look, look at my life. No, you see, then now you, you've gone to the Eros stuff. You're saying, well, I'm not beautiful. I'm not the highest. I'm not the best. No. Come and agree with God. His opinion of you is that you are his beloved and there be no better place in the entire universe where he would dwell but inside of you. And I've just given you the gospel in a different way. So you can't get into where you already are. We open our eyes. See, that that's what happens in these programs and in many other places. Our eyes, are, we wake up. And, and as I've said before, you, you only know that you were asleep when you wake up. 
you know, I've been asleep. What happened? Well, we've been asleep. And we haven't known that this is going on all around us. This love, this personal love. But as soon as he begins to talk to us, he doesn't talk about getting in. He talks to us as those that have woken up to realize we're in. So he says, do you remember John 15? You are the branches. I I spent months of my life trying, well, how do I become a branch? Then it dawned on me, the, the whole conversation begins by saying you are I placed you there that, that's where you are or again where he says your, your body your your human body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and I want to say how does that happen God did that you've just woken up to realize it or the great text John fourteen twenty in that day of the Holy Spirit where we live now he says you shall know that I am in you, you are in me. He didn't say in that day you'll try to get into me. It is so. And so we, we don't know the religious anxiety of, oh, am I in yet? Like kids in the back of the car, are we there yet? Did I do it right? Am I dedicated enough? Am I sincere enough? Have I read my Bible enough? Have I prayed enough? It's got nothing to do with it. This text stands grounded in the rest, total rest of faith. You're inside the love of God. And he declares it's finished, it's done, it is. You live in the secret place of the shadow of Shaddai under his wings. He wraps himself around you as a shield. It is, wake up, wake up and realize it is so. And realize, I can't, no, I can't put this on the shelf. I have to pursue this. I have to keep this close to my heart. I have to guard this against any distraction. Well, I said it would take two weeks on this at least. And so next week I want to see how this invades our whole life. Or shall I put it this way, go to those areas of distraction and see how we so quickly forget and live as if he doesn't love us. And then to realize how in the Holy Spirit, the ease and the wonder of rest in that love. So let the Holy Spirit open the eyes of your understanding, awaken you to see the marvel, the wonder of this relationship that indeed we shall keep for the rest of our lives as we are being kept. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, keep your hearts in the love of God, and you love him because he first loved you. To that end I declare you blessed, And that is the way it is.